What's going on, NBA Draft fans? Your boy's back. It's the Wolf of Ball Street. The NBA Draft, dude. My name is Corey Tulliba, and today I am your host of the Home and Away podcast on the No Ceilings NBA Draft show feed. And uh, I got a very special guest with me today to chop it up about all of your favorite draft prospects. You know the deal with this episode of the feed. You get one member of No Ceilings and one very special guest. And this has been a long time coming because I don't think that we've done something um, on the same feed together since draft night 2020, if I'm not mistaken. But I have with me today, Rafael Barlow. He is the director of scouting at NBA Big Board, the host of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. Rafael, what is going on, my dude? Nothing much, man. How are you? I am well. Um, we just, you know. Got done watching a intense football game. It's the NFL yeah, I'm playoffs. A, I'm a Bengals fan, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> and my mom's a Chiefs fan, so she's texting me now. I mean, <sighs> look, I'm a Giants fan, so we got mollywopped by the Eagles last week. So you know, yeah. But you got Joe Cool, so you know you, you got a, a long, bright future ahead for the Bengals. Um, so it's it's all good, and and you know what now. It's for a guy like yourself. It's officially, officially basketball season with no distractions. And today, man, I figured this is such a wing heavy draft. I know that Victor and Scoot are the main storylines, but it's almost a little boring because we know that that part of the draft is set. I so I don't think it's a hundred percent. Oh. You don't think so. So you think no, number two is up for grabs. So let's get into it because I think you caused a little uh, fun stir on the internet. Um, so this is the perfect way to open the show. You said that you you think that Brandon Miller maybe could crash a party, maybe Amen Thompson, but you don't think that Scoot Henderson is a lock at number two. Why do you not think he is a lock at number two? Um. Well... Two things, and it's funny that, um, and the tweet that kind of got everything started was someone had said that he could possibly Brandon Miller could possibly move up to number two. Mm-hmm. Then I I just retweeted it, and it was actually Tyrese Rice, who's a a legend in Europe. And I retweeted that if I'm Detroit, or I think I tweeted Detroit doesn't need Scoot, and then mm-hmm. that's kind of what started the whole. <clears throat> Thing. I didn't see all the comments, but I got so many different people in my inbox like apologizing for draft Twitter's behavior. And I, I didn't I didn't see everything. I didn't see anything that was bad, but it was yeah, it was actually pretty crazy. I got a bunch of stuff. The ringer kind of mentioned it a little bit. Um I went to a Mavs game, I sat next to a scout, and I didn't even know him. He just introduced himself and then he mentioned to me that he was glad I survived it and and <laughs> I, I mean, like, I have a lot of a lot of people in my in my DMs just basically talking about it, and some teams feel like he is not, or, or they don't feel like Scoot is as secure in number two as a lot of people may think. I know, and then just a few days later, the the Ringer Draft podcast made a similar statement that I that I had made that, um, you know, if you're if you're Detroit and, you, and you're number two. It doesn't make sense. I know. I know. Consensus says best player available. Yeah. But if you take three guys that play in similar style of play and both all of them need the ball, then I mean you're not doing them any favors. And we always talk about fit is important for players. <laughs> so 
so you gotta look at it from that from that point of view. But no, I, I don't think that it is a hundred percent secure. I mean, I would say he has a very, very great chance at going number two, but I also kind of look at it like I mean, we've seen some monster stats in the G League this year. I mean, mm. we've seen Ty Ty Washington score 53, like uh Sharif Cooper's averaging like 26. Scooter's been good, but he hasn't been great. And then for everyone that is saying, well, you get rid of Jaden Ivey, and I know there's a couple years difference, but I think if Jaden Ivey was in the G League this year, he'd average 30 a game, maybe mm. 35 a game. <laughs> so, um, Scoot shooting, I mean, he got off to a, a good start. It hasn't, um, I mean, I think by the time the season ends, he's probably going to be around 33, 34% from three, which is not bad, but yeah, yeah I don't think it's a lock like everyone says it is well if we know anything about the nba draft nothing is really truly a lot yeah. some things victor's you know unless something terrible happens to him is a lock lebron was a lock but even yeah. last year you know up until 30 minutes before draft time i think Woj was reporting you know that jabari was going to be the number one pick mm-hmm. um and then Paolo ended up being the number one pick. So that's what makes the NBA draft interesting. And look, I think you make a lot of good points. Detroit, <clears throat> um, you know, I think Cade is, you're able to put him kind of with anybody because I think he can slide off ball a little bit easier than a guy like Jaden Ivey. But that is a crowded, ball-dominant backcourt. I think even Charlotte, like, I, I, if you're putting LaMelo fully, you know, off the ball a little bit with a guy like Scoot, either one of those guys, you're probably not fully utilizing them um, to their full potential. You know, you go down the list, there's a a couple of teams that it isn't the easiest fit because a lot of these teams have been in the lottery for a while. And, you know, they, they took the, that the high powered guard of, of whatever draft year um, that guy came out of. So, you know, I still think that a team is going to be scared to pass on a guy like Scoot, maybe from an optics perspective, but look, man, Brandon Miller, the way that he's shooting um, and playing. Yeah. I definitely think that the floor with him is apparent. And in a league that values, you know, we see these guys who are six, nine and skilled come in and contribute right away in a direction that the league is heading. Um, being switchable and have you know having a defensive impact, I could see why it could be a shock on draft night. I could see it, and you know with Brandon Miller, he's a guy I've been high on for forever. Um, yeah. You know I, I've seen the vision for those exact reasons, so I wouldn't be shocked. Now, do you think that if you were in that position and you had you were looking at Scoot and some of the other guys? What direction would you personally lean? Uh, well, I guess it just depends on what team I'm in charge. If you're of. Detroit, let's stick with Detroit. Uh, I'm, I'm in Detroit. I'm taking Brandon Miller. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I love it. You can you can throw Cade, Scoot, and Ivy on the floor together. And I'm just defending that group with boxes and elbows if I'm another team. <laughs> and I, I do think, in theory, Cade can play off the ball, but the shooting since he's been in the NBA, it's not been like it was at Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. And even when I look at Cade's, and I'm a, I'm a big Cade fan, even when I look at 
back in high school and all that, the, the shooting was always the big concern about him. And then he had this outlier year at Oklahoma State where he shot like 40% from three. Mm-hmm. And then it's like it's come back down to the same shooting concerns that he had prior to, to high school. So, I mean, sorry, prior to his freshman year. So, um, yeah, I just wonder about, about the shooting. I still think he's as best as, as the primary and um, I just think Miller is an easier fit. And then I just also believe just because a person is considered the best player available on draft day doesn't mean that they are going to be the best player in a year yeah. or two or three or four or five. And so I think that, um, you know, I like I like Kate a lot. I like Ivy, even though I don't think those two are the best fit. I mean, you can make a case and say that maybe if Detroit selected Matherin, Mm. instead yeah. of ivy that may have been a, a better fit um but i just think it's just you know three point guards and what is it is it three consecutive years i mean yeah. that he, somebody's i mean at fit, some point it doesn't work yeah at some point it doesn't work and then the guy that you're probably going to end up trading you kind of hurt his trade value because he's probably struggling because he doesn't fit right so now you're not getting the same fair value yeah, and three guards with questionable shooting upside, and you drafted Jalen Duran, who looks like your foundational big man who, yep. if he ever shoots it, it will not be for quite a while. So things get murky, and that is that is the problem with the best player available strategy. It becomes hard, especially when you're not really surrounding uh, your team necessarily with veterans that fit. Now, Detroit did you know, resign uh, Bogdanovich, but... You know, he could be gone in a couple of weeks at the trade deadline for all we know. Um, but that's interesting. And, man, I, what do you think Brandon Miller's ultimate upside is? Because if you're going to take him at number two, do you see a Paul George kind of player in him? Is he a guy that you think could potentially be a number one option? Because I, I don't know if, you know, Jaden Ivey or Cade have really shown like number one option in the playoffs thus far definitely flashes of it you throw a guy like um a brandon miller in there do you think he can get to that level i mean if you're taking him that high you're probably you're probably you know leaning in that direction right yeah i think so i think he's a guy that if you watch his college film it's impressive right the shooting the size the ball handling i mean a lot was made about his finishing at the rim but if you look at his finishing if you cut the season in half from it's trending up 20 games. Yeah. He's, he's trending up. But if you look at his high school film, you'll see that he has a lot more to his game than he's been able to show. Yes. I he think does. That, at least I thought that his greatest strength coming into this season was a pull-up shooter. He's mm-hmm. able to get to his spots and elevate over guys. Of course that was high school and he did have some advantages there. Um, but we haven't really seen him because of Alabama's offense as a pull-up shooter off the dribble mid-range. I think the finishing is going to be fine once he gets stronger. Yes, he's a little bit older, but physically he still has a lot, a long ways to go. I think he's a good athlete. He's just in an unfortunate year where you got the Thompson twins. <laughs> you got these <laughs> other guys that are like yeah. crazy athletes that make him look average. And I think that, I mean, he has some game in like the mid-post as far as footwork. I just think once he gets stronger, and I've heard nothing but like great things. Same thing about Scoot. Same thing about William. Yeah. But I've heard nothing but great things about him as a person and work ethic and so on. So I think that he has a 
I mean, I think he has a high ceiling, and I think that um, the the passing he's shown some flashes there, but mm-hmm. I think he can be a, a good passer too. So, I mean, I, I think that he can be a Paul George type guy. Yeah, it you know the mid range game that pull up ability that was why I was so high on him coming yeah. into the year. We haven't seen it. <laughs> we haven't seen it, and you know, I, I mean, that's I think a normal thing for a lot of these offenses, but. You know, you watch that the the Brad Beal stuff in AAU. I always thought he looked like a better prospect than his teammate on that team and Nick Smith, just based on NBA trajectory for that reason. Because that pull up ability was tough, and you mentioned the footwork; he had it all over either shoulder. Um, and and I think that you know, you mentioned like the athleticism stuff. I, I think he's one of these guys who just knows how to play with pace. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think sometimes people mistake playing with pace for a lack of athleticism. And I understand, like, he's not dunking on people's heads all the time and whatnot. But guys like that who can get to their spots, like, they just know how to get to their spots. Yep. And it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that, like, like just because they're playing slow doesn't mean, like, they are. They just they think the game in a way that allows them to just get to their spots and um, in their own way. And conversely... And it's funny, you know, you talk about age and and people being worried. The Thompson twins, who are basically the same age, you know, are kind of the inverse, where Amen is like, you know, shot out of a cannon. Um, and I kind of worry a lot about the skill stuff with him. Like, obviously, he's super skilled as a ball, uh, you know, ball handler, guy who can get to the rim, put pressure, get paint touches, and as a passer. But, you know, I saw him up close a couple of times. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about, about the shooting. Yeah. And I, I've actually, I've talked to scouts and I've actually talked to some players that played against him and not, not this season talking about like, you know, a a guy that played against him this summer Mm -hmm. and, and, and then another person that played against him in the, the preseason game. And they're all like, man, the motors there, defensive potential, but excuse me, one guy was just like, man, I just don't see any improvement as, as a shooter. Now, here's the thing. Now, if I am, I always try to think of things from the perspective as a general manager, right? Yeah. If I'm a GM and I draft Amin Thompson, whoever, three, four, five, whoever the shooting coach is, hey, blank check. What do you need? <laughs> yeah. Chip England? All right, I know he's in OKC. You're making a million dollars a year? Okay, I'm going to give you two. Mm. Right. Three, whatever it is. If I have to pay Chip England, who's I mean, he's look at Josh Giddy, like that was yeah. Josh Giddy. <laughs> yeah. If I got to pay you three million dollars a year for you to change, I'm in shot. It's worth it because if he pans out, that's a, a max player. What's three yeah. million dollars for? Yeah, max three million so, plus two hundred. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I definitely have to attach the shooting coach. Someone that's like well renowned, um, the guy in New Orleans is he slips my mind. Who got a lot of credit for Fred Vincent? I think that's yes. his name. Yeah. yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm attaching whoever it is to him. Um, but there's some concerns. I mean, I've talked to some scouts and and they like overtime, but they feel like the league is professional. They like what they're doing, but. And one scout's exact quote was, "But once the game starts and they roll the ball out, it's yeah. AU basketball." Yeah, and and that is like a a concern that it may take 
you know, it may take some time, which, you know, of course he's a rookie, but it may take some time to adjust to like playing a different level of basketball. I, I actually, I have the, the same exact feeling when I, when I went to the pro day and I saw how professional, you know, the training was, the facilities, I was thoroughly impressed. Yeah. Um, I think that the individual training, the coaching that they're getting uh, is really great. But then again, you put the ball, you know, the, you tip off and it's just like a dunk contest at times. And it's just not going to be like that. So and I, can I add it? And that's what they're going. That's what overtime is going to have to sell to continue to be a threat. Right. It's, mm. You want it to be fun. You want it to be exciting and all of that. And so I think that and it's still very early in in their their process only year two. But I think like for if you want it to be cool and exciting for you know the 16 and under crowd, then they want to see the the up and down play, the dunks and all that. But then I just think it's gonna to lead to more questions about the the prospects and the overall style of play, how it translates to the NBA. So they have a lot riding on the Thompson <clears throat> twins, as far as in my opinion, as far as like the next generation of guys in overtime. Yeah, you you know what's funny? It's like I almost and, and I had a conversation with with one of them with one of the people that worked there when I was there, and I was like, I I love it. Like it almost feels like you know an academy right now because you got all these young guys coming in that are so talented, and they're like, no, we're a league. And I was like, all right, like yeah, like and they now they have like the the um the prime deal, and you know they have more teams. Which which is great in the league, obviously, is like doing well, and I think it's going to continue to expand. But it had that feeling to me that was a positive because yep. for these young guys, I actually think it's great. Like they get to play against guys like the Thompson twins early, and and that talent, and get this kind of coaching. Whereas the Thompson twins came in before you know the the NIL stuff popped off, and and when these kids can now do stuff with that and then go to college after they've been a, uh, a part of the overtime program. That's where I think the league is really going to thrive and why I think they, they probably are going to continue to get that kind of talent because it is a good platform for them to build their brands before they get to a certain point. If they can go then jump to, you know, one of these blue blood schools and, and really capitalize it on it even further. But, you know, the Thompsons, it almost feel like it was a year or two, late for them for everything that happened. I mean, they signed their deals. They're doing fine. And I think that they're developing well. Like Asar, I think, has made a lot of visible improvements to his game, even if you're seeing it in this like up and down style. I think the shot looks better. The percentages are up. But to me, at this point, I'm not really concerned about the percentages as much as I am with the form and you know his handle. And, yeah, I mean, of course, the free throw percent. You want to see that stuff go up. Mm -hmm. But... um you know, the willingness to shoot certain kind of shots. Uh, obviously, like the athleticism and stuff is that's going to pop under, you know, most circumstances that they play in. So the, that, that kind of stuff's definitely there. But the fact that the structure is so loose, it does lead to a lot of questions. And then I think Amen, more than Asar, is going to deal with a lot of those questions that we just had with Scoot, where what happens if the Pistons are drafting third? you know, and, and he's on their board. He's a little bit taller. You can maybe talk yourself into, you know, different kind of positional things. But to me, like he might need the ball even more than a guy like Scoot does. Yeah. Um, 
so the, I don't know. There, Ahmed's one of the most interesting prospects I think I've evaluated. And I, I, a lot of times I just, I'm like, I think I'm overthinking it because he is so athletic. And then sometimes I'm like, I don't think I'm overthinking it. I have this feeling in my gut um, that I'm worried and not like super worried. I don't have him like crazy low on my board or anything. Cause I do still think the tools are worth betting on. And I mean, you see like the Spurs, what they're doing with Sohan and, you know, uh, in such a short amount of time, uh, I think NBA coaching is so good. And like you said, you could throw a bag at one of these coaches and, and, you know, if you're making that investment, it's one of those home run swings that can really, really pay off. But I also think there's a world, like you said, this, this draft is unpredictable. And we look at the rankings now and they never match up three, four years down the line. And like, there's a world where Jet Howard is is a guy that you know people think went too low. Now he's he's kind of on the rise um, at this point too, and he's a guy I'm I'm very excited. I'm going to see in a couple of weeks. What do you think about Jet Howard and his season and, and how he's popped off? What do you think his ceiling is as far as his his draft range? I think that he. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up in the lottery. I would like to see him rebound a little more. Yeah, uh, for a guy that big, he he does not rebound. Three last I saw. Yeah, so I actually talked to a scout about it, and his comment was, he thinks Jet is the type of player that's like, my shot is good. I don't need to go down there and and mix it up. Hmm. And that was just his personal assessment because he's mm-hmm. like, he has the body. He he looks huge on the court. Yeah, he, he said he just doesn't want to go down there and, and mix it up. His exact words were, and this is not my words, but mm-hmm. the, the scout said that, you know, when you see somebody that big and strong and they just don't want to be in the paint, and he's like, I just think it's a little diva-ish. And so <laughs> I would have never came up with, with, the, with that term for myself. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, he is – I mean, he can shoot the ball – he shows Flash has been able to create a little bit on his own off the dribble. Um, I, I think that I would like to see him have a little bit of mid-post game. And I know mm. maybe I'm just kind of like in the wrong era. But I see – this is probably a bad comparison. But I see like with the body type, maybe not the first step, but I think he could be a punishing mid-post guy that makes teams regret switching, right? Yeah. And so that's what I would like to see out of him. I don't know if he really has that in his game, but I like how he can score coming off screens. He can just score in a variety of different ways. Uh, and I think that the the passing is a little bit underrated. So I think that he can be a lottery pick. Yeah, he does have good feel. Like you see him run yeah. some pick and rolls coming off, some DHOs and stuff. And, you know, he just really good ball placement, timing on those passes. The shot versatility is really impressive. Um, I don't think you're alone. I, I, I mean – I think we're probably close to the same age, so we both value that that mid post game when it comes yeah. to like a guy who projects as a uh, shooter scorer. And like I, I, I mean, he's got big, broad shoulders. He's tall as hell. Like just a, as a guy that you could dump the ball into, and he can hit little post fades and little just shoot face him up, jab step, shoot over him. I mean, yeah. that becomes an efficient shot when when you can get it on switches. If you're doing it every time down, obviously, like if you try to you know, turn him into Carmelo Anthony in 2005, maybe, you know, that's the wrong kind of era. But when you're using it situationally, I think it's something that Jet probably could have in his bag pretty easily. 
with some yeah. experiment, like as he as he grows as a player. Um, I would I would that would be like one of my things I would work on. Doesn't have Melo's first step, but you know I'd work on different things to where I can just make teams pay for for switching. I mean, you look at teams are switching everything. And there's so many guys in the NBA that are just three and D wings that can't really do anything else to like make teams pay for switching. Yeah. And I think he has the passing ability to where if he has a mismatch and you go to him a couple of times in a row, once the team starts to, to adjust, I think he can make plays. And so, um, yeah, that's something I would definitely try to add to his game and maybe he can do it. And, you know, maybe his dad is from that era where that was popular <laughs> and his dad, yeah. Uh, you know, has not work on it, but yeah, I, I like Jet a lot. Yeah, well, you know, for a three and D wing, you do need to defend too, and I think that's something with him that there's question marks about. Uh, I think on the ball, he's he could he's you know he's pretty okay at times, like when he's locked in, and he's again he's big. I think he'll be switchable uh, as he gets stronger. Um, and off the ball, I mean, you know, he's not great. He's he's probably improved at it throughout the season, but I think with a lot of these young guys especially maybe one who played with a guy like Jarris Walker in high school who could clean up a lot of messes um, when you botch a rotation and whatnot. I, I think he'll be fine on that end. And so, I I mean, I think that is a pretty good segue to talk about Jarris Walker, who I guess you can include in this wing conversation. Um, what do you think about Jarris's game? He's had some big games lately, scoring-wise. Uh, he's one of these gadgety do it all forwards that I think the NBA falls in love with. And when I started watching him at IMG, my immediate thought was this is a guy who is going to be the guy who rises leading up to the draft those weeks before where everyone goes, Oh man, is Jarris Walker really going to make his way into the top five conversation? Is Patrick Williams really in the top five conversation? To me, he is going to be kind of the Scotty Barnes Patrick Williams of this draft. I haven't thought of it from that perspective, but that that makes sense. You know, he's a guy that <clears throat> when I watched him in high school, I immediately liked him. Right, the passing—it's hard not to. <laughs> yeah, the, the the handle and the grown man body. <laughs> yeah, and just it's just a weird combination of skills because how I do it, I, I I don't watch much during the season. So right after the draft. I just spend the rest of the summer watching high school stuff. Yeah. So I knew the name, but I purposely like I, I'll go to Synergy and then I watch the plays and I just put them in random order, right? Mm-hmm. And so you just see all these different arenas, everything, every every <laughs> other clip. But immediately I just saw like the body, and I'm thinking, okay, this guy's a bruiser. And then right. I see the handle, and then I see the passing, and then I see the upside, and it's like. I really like this guy. I think he's going to mm-hmm. be really, really good. And then at the beginning of the season, it looked like he settled into this, this role player role. And I actually watched him live. And the game I saw live, I just wasn't impressed. It was probably one of his, his worst games of the season. I think it was against St. Mary's. And he looked like he was tr- struggling between trying to play this complimentary role, but then at the same time trying to get his stuff off. Mm-hmm. And now he's settled into his role and he's a lot more comfortable and he's doing the stuff that he did in high school. You're seeing him yeah. attack off the dribble. Um, I've seen a little bit of the flashing passes. I still feel like I saw more of it in high school. Yeah. But I think it's gonna 
I think he had effective. more freedom for that in high school yeah. than he does now. And, uh, and one of the things that, and I had mentioned it in an article I wrote, it was so two summers ago, I was in Miami and I was at this gym, Bam out of Bio walks in, right? And I'm a Blazers fan. And I, I go up to Bam and I just say, hey, man, I'm a Blazers fan. Can you please tell me why the Blazers selected Zach Collins over you? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, everything that the Blazers need from athleticism to defense to another playmaker i say you feel all of those needs why what, what made him think zach collins was better than you so i kind of told him what i did he says well look whenever you're evaluating a prospect watch their high school film since their high school film is going to tell you what they can do mm-hmm. in college the college coach is all about trying to win games he's not really giving guys freedom right it's like high school will tell you what they can do College would tell you the role that they can play. And he's like, but if you look at my high school tape, I could handle, I could pass, you know, I could do everything I'm doing now. I just couldn't do it at Kentucky. And he's like, but when you go to Kentucky, you know, you have to sacrifice your game. So he says he knew that going along. So he said, that's why he felt like the Blazers just didn't do their homework on his high school tape. And he, and he mentioned other teams that were picking ahead of them. So now, and that's why I, I saw Ohio Ben Carroll last year because mm. I was like, dude is playing. If you look at his high school day, he was playing point center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't see that at Duke. Right. And so Walker is my guy this year. Walker and, and Brandon Miller, who talked about are the guys this year that I feel like their high school tape shows me that they are way more capable of doing things that they're able to show in, in college. And so, um, I mean, I, I love, Walker in an NBA setting where he's running four or five pick and rolls or right four one pick you know just so yeah, many it's operating so many. from the elbows and horn sets of DHO stuff roller he could run it like you said inverted pick and rolls it's funny that you mentioned Bam because I, I kind of think that he's and I'm not saying like if you add them up together he's going to be better than these guys but he's almost like if you took Bam and like Patrick Williams and kind of molded them into one player. Cause I think defensively he's going to be able to guard up a little bit more than a guy like Patrick Williams, but he's also a little bit more wingy, even though bam obviously has shown some tremendous guard skills um, in the NBA, but he's a little bit more wingy in, in how he moves. So I've been kind of toying with this kind of like, you know, prospect chemistry between those guys and I, I kind of think like you know I'm, you see Jarris mocked in that late lottery spot in some places some places you know he's more in like the seven eight range um but i feel like if he drops to the back of the lottery it, he is going to be the guy who you walk into a gym and ask why did they take zach collins over you i have a comparison it's probably one of the craziest comparisons but we haven't seen a guy that big, that shifty, and that can handle in a while. And one mm. of the first comparisons I had, and he doesn't shoot it like him, but I think like Antoine Walker would be a superstar <laughs> in this era, right? Yeah. Because he was such a, a matchup problem because he was, I mean, he was thick shoulder, he was strong, but I mean, we all remember the younger crowd might not yeah. remember, but Cybertron. You- YouTube it. <laughs> yeah. And Antoine was handling the ball and he was such a mismatch. And I think mm-hmm. Walker, um, I mean, um, 
Like, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. he's, he's not the shooter as Antoine, but I can see him as the guy that you put a big on him. He's got the handle where he can, you know, beat him off the dribble. Yep. You put a smaller player on him. He's not as polished in the post yet, but he's so strong. He can just bully his way. But then if you send help, he can make all the right reads. Yeah. And, and so I think that maybe – Maybe if the outside shot comes along, you could have a mini Antoine Walker type weapon. Another guy that comes to mind that was that big and could handle that I'd feel comfortable initiating the offense with was Anthony Mason. With the, you're a Knicks yeah. fan, so you remember how no, I'm a Bulls fan. I'm from New York. I'm a Bulls fan, though. Oh, you're a Bulls fan. My bad. Yeah, I'm a Bulls My fan. Albert's a Knicks fan. Okay, that's right. <laughs> so you remember how Anthony Mason was, and this was, I mean, in a different era where you didn't have fours that handled the ball, but he was, he was a problem. <laughs> I love it. I love Mace's game. <laughs> yeah. And so Walker has, I mean, those are some comparisons that I think I see a little bit of their game in his. That's an interest. If you like combined Antoine and Mason, that's another like fun kind of comp for, for Jarris. Um, I feel like, I mean, Antoine, I think his problem is he liked to shoot a little too much. Like if he kind of reined it in like Jarris has. <laughs> He'd, he'd probably in this era he'd be perfect in this era. He would because be at, he, at at that era. Everybody's like, oh, he takes too many threes because he. Was, yeah, I mean, he may have been taking five a game, and that was just considered outlandish. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny? Like, I haven't looked at what the numbers actually are, but they probably are only like four and a half, five a game, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> which would be yes. like, which is you want your your bigs to be shooting almost that much now. That's that's hilarious. Um. All right, I, let's talk about Gigi Jackson because this is a guy who you have been very high on, and it's easy to understand why. I think, you know, when you see a guy that big who's got as smooth of a jumper and a pull up game as he's shown, it's easy to be infatuated with him. And, you know, I watch him, I was really hesitant to buy into his game coming into the year. Cause when I watched him in high school, I thought he was one of those guys who had motor issues. Sometimes like the games I watched, I'd be like, eh, he should be grabbing every rebound. He's so much bigger than athletic than these guys. I get it. I see the pull-up stuff and the stuff that I was worried about. I feel like he does play hard. I feel like he does have a good motor. So all of my concerns going into the year have kind of were, you know, they kind of evaporated pretty quickly upon watching him. And now it's like the efficiency stuff. And I'm not super concerned because he is playing, you know, basically up, um, you know, a year. Do you even, you know, being that high, where are you at concern wise with, you know, the efficiency? Do you think that? he's going to have people in his ear like like you got to get to the rim a little bit more you can't just settle like do you think he's a situation guy in the nba where he's got to go to the right team or do you think he might even though he might take a couple of years he's kind of like he's gonna hit i think he's gonna hit i, I way i look at it is if he stays in his right class and let's say he has a dominant high school senior season which i think he would have mm-hmm. he's the number one recruit for next year yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm not very impressed with with a lot of the guys yeah, that I've seen. He's a projected yeah. number one pick next year. So as a team, you get the guy that you basically almost like you won the lottery. Even mm-hmm. if you get him at six or seven, you won the lottery for next year. He may take some time to develop. 
And I mean, just on and off the court, not saying there's anything immature about him, but again, we're talking about a guy that will be 18 yeah. years old right? and has never left his hometown. So those are like some of the, the factors that concern that, um, that are a little concerning, but I like, I like the skill set. I like how he's changed his game in a sense over the years. Like if you watched him two, three years ago, he was like a finisher, a rim runner, then you started seeing like, okay, he can be a pick and pop guy. And then now you just start seeing like the pull-ups, the footwork. Mm-hmm. And I think he just has so many tools in his toolbox that if it's, you know, if he puts it all together, I think he could be like an amazing weapon and, and crazy mismatch. I'd like to see him become a, a better passer. Yeah. But I think that can come over time. Um, yeah, I, I would like to see him go to the right situation the right fit there's a few guys that i just want to see go to san antonio because i think there's (laughs) so many opportunities to thrive there you know i think obviously a point guard position um um obviously like the center spot are some positions that that they could have open but i I think that uh i believe that when it's all said and done he's going to be a top seven player in this class so in five years, when you do a redraft, you'd be like, okay, he's a top seven guy. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not very hard to envision that. The passing is is an interesting conversation because, like, I completely get it. Obviously, he, that has been one of you know the major weaknesses. He's way more turnover prone than he is likely to to make a play. Um, but he's not selfish. You know, like he'll move off the ball. I think like sometimes he might take some shots that look selfish, but I don't think he's purposely looking guys off i think he he will make an extra pass at times um if he gets double in the post he'll he'll kick it back out like he's he's not going to force stuff that way i think he just settles for that jumper sometimes when you know maybe if you're looking at the nba context where you want to play a little bit more 0.5 and you should move off of it to get something better he hasn't learned that yet but as somebody who's worked with high school kids and coached high school kids for 10 years now one every time they jump up a level you notice that for a lot of them it takes a little bit of time for them to catch up to that speed yep and he's jumping up a level and he's skipping a grade so if he was coming out and hitting some of these shots while breaking down the defense and and making plays at the same time i would have been floored now you're talking about somebody who would have been in the top three conversation rather than you know top 10 potentially lottery. So I, I, I give him a pass on that. Um, now it's not going to get easier next year. Cause he's gonna be jumping up another level. And um, I think a team, if they're going to develop him, they're going to try to simplify his role before they give him a ton of freedom, especially most of the teams that are, you know, they've been in the lottery for a while. And in, in, unless somebody jumps up, you know, they all have guys who were, going to be carrying a lot of the load as far as like the playmaking and whatnot. So I'm, I'm not yep. super concerned about that, that aspect of his game. Um, I want to talk about a guy who I've, I've been really starting to like his film a lot now. Uh, Bryce can I ask Sim- you one question? Yeah, of course. What, what do you think Gigi's position is? Like to me, he's a big, what do you mean by big? Like a five? Cause I think he's like a four. Yeah. So I, you know, everybody's position metrics are a little different. I think yeah. he's a, like, you know, a four, 
maybe a guy that can close lineups as, as the five when you're looking just to go small and just create some type of mismatch. No, I don't think he's going to be like a guy that can anchor your defense. Right. But, um, but yeah, so some people think he's a wing. Some people think he's a wing. I don't see him. I, I think his best advantages are at the four, not, not as a three, as a three kind of, I think you could play him as a three in certain lineups. Yeah, with with certain kinds of players, I, I don't think that should be his full time spot. Yeah, I think he moves his feet well enough on the perimeter, but I mean, you look at some of the threes now, and they're like twos. You know, like there, a lot of these guys are, are are quicker. Teams playing three guard lineups, and um, you know, while he has a size advantage, it's like you want him chasing some of these guys around, or mm-hmm. I, I think he can do it on switches. Um, and on, I think the, for me, I think he'll be able to handle the physicality because obviously, like his body is nowhere close to where it's going to be yeah. um, physically four years, five years from now. And he's got big, broad shoulders. Like I think he's going to be a beast if he puts in real time in the weight room. Yeah. But you know, to be a five, you also have to be the quarterback defensively. Yeah. And that's something he's going to have to prove over time. I don't think that's yeah. a question we have the answer to right now. Yeah, and one thing I like about him is when I watched the Eastern Michigan game, there were times where he had Imani Bates switched on him, and mm. he took him to the block. And yeah. I love that mentality <laughs> of you're too skinny. And, I mean, Gigi's not a big dude, <laughs> right? No. I think, he, I think his body will fill out, and he should be able to play at 240, 235. But I think right now he's listed at 215. Who knows what Imani weighs, like a buck 60, buck yeah. 70. <laughs> but I love the fact that when he had that matchup, he didn't face up. He didn't dance with the ball. He just went right at him. Yeah. And I like that mentality because I think that's a um, a good mentality to have when you know that you have, you know, the the ball handling and the footwork and the shot creation to create your own shot. But if you see a mismatch, at least what you think is a mismatch, to just simplify it and just go right to the block. So that was a, a player too that really stood out to me about G. Well, that's kind of what we were talking about with Jet. Yep. Right. Like adding that part to his game where you get a guy like Amani on you who you could just bully physically. Yeah. You know, it's can a you kind of thing that I yes yeah. that I look at. Yeah, and <laughs> a guy who I love who has that mentality is Bryce Sensabaugh. <laughs> he'll he'll yeah. take you into that post as much as the offense will allow him to. <laughs> yeah, bully ball. What do you think? Like he's also a confusing prospect, and I, I've really like I have him in my top ten now. Mm-hmm. I think his sustained production at the level he's producing in in a good conference ha- is really impressive. I think he's a handful. He's dumb skilled, um, but with all that said, I, you do also have to question: Is a coach going to let him play that way? Now he has the three-point shooting ability to, you know, play multiple kinds of roles, but is that why you are drafting him if you're just drafting him to be a shooter? So do you think a team is going to allow him to do his, you know, DeMar DeRozan impression? He's gonna be a guy that it's all about fit. Um, yes. which I mean that's I mean that's I most most prospects for most. everybody. <laughs> but here's the thing about him. So you have him top ten, right? I do. Yeah. So I have him, I think, fifth. No, maybe sixteen. But I think he is going to be 
the biggest riser around draft time. Mm. My prediction is he's the this year's Dyson Daniels, maybe mm-hmm. even Patrick Williams, okay. because this is what I'm anticipating <clears throat> happening. He's going to get down 10 pounds. He's going to yes. slim down. Mm-hmm. He's going to shoot the cover off the ball in workouts. And then once he starts destroying the first few guys <laughs> in the two-on-two workout, think about yeah. it. If you're in a work, like, and I always try to be it from. Yeah, from the perspective of a GM and the perspective of an agent. If I'm an agent and I see my client is matched up against Bryce Sensible and this team is doing one-on-one, two-on-two workouts, I'm pulling them out. Mm. There's no sync defense. It's just <laughs> you and him on that island to where he might outshoot your guy in mm-hmm. a shooting drill and he might punish him in two-on-two, one-on-one, three-on-three, yeah. whatever. You better hope he got tired from some of the the conditioning stuff beforehand. Exactly, but that's why I think like once he sheds some pounds, yep. then athleticism is gonna pop out a little bit more. And I think the only thing that's gonna stop him from rising into the lottery range is if there's some concerns about the the two. I think he had two torn meniscus in, in high school. Mm. If the medicals come out um, concerning, but yeah. he's the guy that I think could be the workout guy that. All of a sudden, you start seeing his stock rise, and then you start seeing people pulling out of workouts because it's just he just has so many advantages that are going to pop out in in workouts, and he's doing it in five on five too. Like I don't know what the percentages are now. Last time I looked, it was like around 47 percent from three. Yeah, he's. I, I think he's at like still at forty five, forty six. I think he's like fifty, forty six, eighty or something. Yeah. You could make an argument he's him and Brandon Miller are the two best freshmen in the country. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know? Um, so I agree. I, I do think he's going to rise because you know, like he obviously needs to lose some pounds, but you could tell that it's, it's a, a possible for him. Like he's not, I don't think he's ever going to be like super cut and lean. Like, I don't know if he has the body type for that, but he's got like, like he's kind of cut up up top, like by with the shoulders and, and, and his arms, like, he it's is good natural strength. It's yeah, natural. he's his brute NBA <laughs> yeah. strength. He's got long arms. Like yep. um and man, the dude's skilled, man. Like yep. and and one of the things um that I'm almost surprised he doesn't have in his bag, like he doesn't even have like a step back yet. Like his step back is almost like he's tiptoeing, like he doesn't create mm-hmm. any space to it. And once he gets that like he's got a shifty handle. He's gonna put face you up, put a shoulder into you, yep. move you off your spot. High release. Like he's gonna be able to get any shot he wants. Um, it's gonna be really fun seeing him rise up during that process, or or what the dialogue is, and what you know agents are planting, and uh, what we're hearing about him. Another guy who I think could be like that too is Max Lewis, mm-hmm. a guy that you like. Um, I recorded earlier today with uh, Jalen Clark, and Jalen was telling me, like, he's like, we work out. We worked out together over the summer, um, and we were going at each other for an hour. He's like, Max is like that. Like, this is a guy, He's he's got the respect of his peers. He's, I mean, his team is not very good, and they're, they're not winning. But you just see ev- the skeleton of like every skill yeah. that you want out of these this modern day wing. 
I mean, how much do you think his team success versus like his individual skill is going to kind of weigh on where he ultimately goes? I mean, I have him in the lottery, right? Yeah. And it, it leads to so many discussions, and I'm sure you've probably got it too. Like, you you know, it's almost like when we say, well, you can't hold Scoots. I mean, not Scoot. You can't hold the Thompson tw- or Brandon Miller's age against him. Right. And then the same thing about the Thompson twins. Yeah. So there now is the thing of you can't hold Imani Bates's team against him, but you still like Max Lewis. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> I I like Max Lewis. Um and, and you guys are the ones that put it out there that he prefers Max instead of Maxwell. Yes. <laughs> um now he can shoot, he's athletic. I, I liked him last year. I thought last year he was really good in the games that he played. I thought his shot selection was just awful. Like I thought yeah. he was just uh just out there hooping right <laughs> and well you know year, from that lack of experience that he had yeah and and you know sometimes hooping is good like if you and i have this theory right i it's love off subject, that if you go to a bad team like houston you better know how to hoop because if you're out <laughs> trying to play the right way <laughs> you're not having a good time it's like when you show up to the pickup and you're trying to make the extra pass and yes you ain't never getting that back you're gonna average six <laughs> points a game trying to play the right way if you're in houston you better hoop because these guys are going for the numbers that's why i think garuba is going to be a lot better when mm. he goes to another team because he's you know he's used to the structure and all that and yeah those guys are, they, they hoop real madrid <laughs> yeah, so um maxwell has that where i think that you know, if he ends up on a bad team, he's going to hoop and mm-hmm. he, he can play that type of basketball. But I've been impressed this year that it's a lot more controlled. It's the shot selection isn't as bad. He's been productive. He's been efficient. And he's a guy that I try to look at. And say, All right. If he wasn't at Pepperdine, if he were at Kansas, if he were at Kentucky or if he had the hype that some of these other freshmen have would we have him as a lottery pick? And my mm. answer to that is, yeah. Agreed. And he, I mean, I don't think, other than team success, I, I don't think that he could have had a better season as far as like helping his draft stock. Yeah, he's still, his shooting efficiency is still crazy good. You know, he's he's got all the 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 eye test stuff that you would, yeah. you would want. I think the playmaking feel is getting better and better each game. Um, and he's but, scoring like he's he's scoring like I feel like he's scoring within a system. It's coming to him easy. Yeah, it's not like which is hard because that Pepperdine team is not very. We like, thought they're gonna be better <laughs> with, with two potential, you know, NBA level guys. Yeah. but it's like it's coming to him. While for those that try to make the argument about Amani, Amani looks like I'm trying to get my my 25 every yeah. like i'm tr- this is my goal is to come out and kill and get my 25 while i think lewis has the same mindset but it's like i'm gonna get my 25 but it's going to come within the full of the offense i'm gonna have to create you know when i when i have to but you know it just seems like there's a little bit more flow to it what do you think about amani right now because I think everybody, for the most part, had completely given up on him as a prospect. You know, with some of the offseason stuff, he obviously had a tough year last year. And, I mean, I feel like he's kind of played as well as he possibly could, given the expectations. Do you think there are any first first-round outcomes for him 
Or do you think there's just too much baggage and a team is like, he's got to be a second rounder if we're going to take him? Yeah, I've uh, I have an article coming out and I interviewed multiple scouts and got different different opinions on it. And the the opinions are wide. I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard first round and then, you know, maybe some of it was kind of in the moment. It was like the day after he had like that 29 straight. Yeah. Um, everybody said that has made them think twice, but there's always a but, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you talk to a prospect, you know, a scout about a prospect and they tell you the things that they like, but with Amani, it's always but. <laughs> and I, I've heard that, you know, they think that he's he just needs to go to the G League. Mm. And can he handle it? It's like one guy said, I think it's going to be a test. Whoever drafts him, they'll probably draft him in the second round and they'll send him straight to the G League. And it's going to be an absolute test of how does he handle it? And it's not necessarily a talent thing. And I also think that Amani has been, I mean, some of the criticism against him has kind of been unfair. And the reason I say it's unfair is because our expectations for him after the Sports Illustrated cover, you know, they said he's going to be the number one pick mm-hmm. compared to the next Kevin Durant. So anything less than that, people are going to be disappointed, right? Right. And then it turns into you have the people that are disappointed calling him a bust. And then you have the people that support him are like going above and beyond. And it turns into like this huge divide. But he's only 18. He's still young. I think the biggest concern is he's I guess he played for what uh, Jalen Duran for a yeah. circuit, I think for a session yeah. or so. But the biggest concern is. He's had his most success when he's been in position to be the man, the first, second, third option. Yeah. You know, I've heard people say, well, even when he was really good in high school, he was still playing 15U or 16U. Then um, he's never really been held accountable. It's somebody may like him. And it only takes one. one. It only takes takes one. one. Yeah. But I think the consensus is like, anywhere between late first to maybe in the forties. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like there's, there is a role for the skill set that he has. Is he going to buy into? Yeah. That's the big concern that I've heard everybody say. Be playing with that, that skill set in an NBA context, which is probably like a guy who's like running off screens and, and catch and shoot and, and being like a, a heat check guy, like almost like a, a bigger Malik Monk or a bigger you know? Jordan Poole. In a right. Sense. You know, like, cause, and, and look, if you can buy into that, if he can maximize that, that's a guy who's going to make a lot of money. Yeah. But that's it the will. concern is, yeah. Is he going, does the mindset say I'm the number one option? Because, you know, if you're first, late first round, second round, you you have to come in and fill a role, a specific mm-hmm. role, and you're not going to have a lot of freedom to do stuff outside of that role. And even like a Jordan Poole, who a lot of people were, I mean, he still ended up going first round with, was what, like 28, 28 pick or something like something, that. Yeah. But he was a guy that people knew he could score, but his style of play just seemed a little too one-on-one-ish. And even he yeah. had to go down to the G League. But I think Jordan Poole's irrational confidence is what makes him a hundred million dollar player because right. he was like, 
yeah, I know you guys want me to play this role, but I'm Jordan. <laughs> this is who I am. <laughs> and when I get in, I'm still going to be me. Because, you know, I think if the wrong team were to try to turn him into a point guard. Yeah. Or try to put him in a box. And so it did work for him. And we've seen other guys that it didn't work out for. I think, like, different skill set. But, like, a Malik Newman comes to mind. A guy that was always, like, the primary Cam Thomas. Yeah. Cam Thomas. And I think Cam has a more, I think he's a hired gun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he's he's like the epitome of extreme confidence. Yeah. He's getting them up. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and I wasn't really high on Cam Thomas. I was high on like from a fun to watch, you know, like yeah. this guy is, I mean, he might go for 40. Yeah. But from a team fit, I was like, "Oh man, it's gonna be tough." And I, mm-hmm. I think I, I think I was on the live draft show the year he was drafted, and I made the comment like, "Oh, I can't wait until he waves KD off, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to go to go ISO." But he, I think he can help Brooklyn because, I mean, you know that you can't leave him open, right? You know that he's a threat and he's always gonna be aggressive, and they have some guys on their team or a guy on their team that's not going to be aggressive so yeah um but yeah Amani's going to be an interesting it's going to be a very interesting storyline between now and the draft and if he goes undrafted that would not surprise me at all me either me if either. he goes I... 25th it wouldn't surprise me at all yeah he's he's going to be a a, a wild card that yeah. is going to be really fun and The inverse of Amani Bates, I feel like, is Chris Murray, a guy who completely plays within himself. I saw him a couple of weeks ago against Rutgers, um, and he was actually more impressive in the game that I went to against Rutgers than the game against Rutgers I went to last year when I went to go see Keegan. And obviously they're twins, and obviously there's a lot of similarities He's a guy who is mostly being projected in that like 20 to 25 range right now. Mm-hmm. And and I get it because when I look at my board, I see that I, I usually have him probably in that range. But then I ask myself, are there going to be 15 guys five years from now who have a better NBA career than Chris Murray? Right. So for Can me... I ask myself... <laughs> Is the one year difference between him and Keegan a 20 spot difference right. as far as because I mean the numbers are similar. Yeah. Uh, very similar. Like I mean, I think he just had a, another huge game, like filling up the stat sheet. He's a good shooter, great demeanor. You know what you're getting out of him. Um, so it's like, why can't he go in the lottery? I guess is what I'm thinking. If if Keegan's a top five guy, yeah. why can't Chris Murray be drafted at 14? And I I think once you think of it in like different contexts, I think there's a chance he could, right? So let's say let's say it's a team that just misses the the playoffs, right? And they're picking like 15th or whatever. Right. And you look at him and say, all right, yes, he's a little older, not the sexiest prospect, may not have the highest ceiling, but he can come in and contribute right away. And we're going to get some really good years out of him 
while he's on a rookie deal. It's like right. he starts like his prime. Like he'll be at the beginning of his prime while he's making three, four million dollars a year. So your mm-hmm. value for getting someone that good and that productive on a rookie deal, you're going to get a really good bang for your buck. You're not going to spend the first couple of years developing him. I think he can come in and contribute right away. And I, I think I had him going to the Lakers on my mock, which I still had him, you know, going pretty, I guess, uh, late first round. Well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> the way the Western Conference is right yeah, now. Everything shakes up crazy. <laughs> so, uh, Unless you're the but, Spurs or the <laughs> – yeah, the what yeah. I mean, you can be like eighth and you can be 23rd in a matter of a couple of days. But I look at like, you know, a team like the Lakers where I had them going. If you're the Lakers, that's kind of perfect in a sense because he's going to come in and play right away. He's going to knock down mm-hmm. open shots. He's mature. You can play him and, and you know, help you win games and you're you're not going to pay him a whole lot of money. You're gonna yeah, get exactly really what they, good value. team like that needs. Exactly, yeah. I mean, there's some other teams, um, you know, maybe you know a Brooklyn or, I mean, there's a log jam with with Memphis. But, I mean, I mean, if if Portland makes the playoffs and Chicago gets that pick, like Chicago's a team, I think that he could fit in really nicely yeah. on. You know, yeah. uh, there, I think there are outcomes, and I feel like when it's like put out into the conversation like that it's kind of like you can't take him over you know prospect x like um i don't know <sighs> I mean, there's a lot of guys like noah Clowney or terquavion smith or somebody you know but like an nba team might be like he's a much safer outcome to help us do the job we want than a guy yeah. like turk is who while I know you're very high on him, and I think he's for for good reason. He's another guy I think could go in, in the lottery as well. There is an outcome where he just can't handle the physicality. He's inefficient, can't finish, get picks on, you know, picked on defensively. Mm-hmm. And a guy like Chris Murray just offers that stability that, you know, while he might not have that high end outcome, sometimes you need safety. Yeah, and I think like. A GM may say, you know, I'm taking Chris late lottery because mm. I'm trying to win now. I'm, I'm at the point where I've been in the, the lottery too many years in a row, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I need a playoff appearance for an extension. Yeah. And, and it's a question that I asked before, and I never thought of it until someone had mentioned it to me, um, an NBA person mentioned it to me, and they were like, you know, if you're – a GM and they were like, she's now you have to think about best player available, which may be two to three years down the line. I may not even be there. Right. Or the guy <laughs> that can help me win now, help me get my contract extension where I don't have to move my family and I get a little bit more security. <laughs> and that's the situation that sometimes a GM is faced with. And I mean, just, I'm not knowing off the top of my head, speaking about anybody in particular, but I do think there's been a bunch of teams that have been in the lottery too many years in a row, <laughs> and you're going to need a, a safe, high-character guy, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm like Charlotte, and I, I mean, they're going to be picking high. Yeah. But if there's a situation where they trade Plumlee and they get a, a first or something like that, right. he's the guy that I would want in that locker room in Charlotte. 
high no character doubt. guy, knows his role, and he's a safety valve for for Melo. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, he's a guy that I again I think that the draft world we could be undervaluing him, while a GM could say this guy come in right away and and play, and you know, not he may not be the sexiest prospect, but he can come in and contribute right away, and we're no he'll get it done. He'll yep. do his job. Like he'll be, he could be like Taj Gibson, you know, <laughs> like mo- a modern day Taj Gibson, just come into work, uh, hard hat, lunch pail, all of that. The last guy before I get you out of here and, uh, you know, I'll finish, we got to finish with an international guy. Cause you know, you are the international guru is a name that I've, I've heard is starting to heat up a little bit behind the scenes. Um, and I think can potentially heat up as we get closer to the draft. Similarly, to how Usman Jang did last year, and that's Rayon Rupert. Okay. Yeah, so he's, um, you know, the intrigue is the defense. It's like 7'2", seven, 7'3", seven, wingspan, 6'6". Six, six. Um, you know, he missed some time with a broken wrist. And I actually haven't met him, but I'm good friends with his agent. So he shares the same agent as Wimbayama. And we talked mm-hmm. about him. I, I went to Africa with, with uh, Buna Njai a few weeks back, and we talked about about him. And um, first thing he's like is, where do you have Ryan on your board? <laughs> where, <laughs> where, where is he on your board? And uh, I, I do think that he, he could also be like a riser just because – I mean, the 7'3 wingspan is intriguing. And he's shown enough offensive flashes where you think like, okay, he can at the minimum be a 3 and D guy, but he's shown some some ability to make plays out of pick and roll. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's somebody that I have in the first round. I have going, I want to say either 19th or 20th. When I did my mock, the Knicks had back-to-back picks at 19 yeah. or 20. <laughs> and I had him going to the Knicks with one of those picks. But um, yeah, if he shoots the ball well in workouts, I think he's somebody that that could definitely be on the rise. Also, I feel like he's actually like the perfect guy for the Knicks right now. Like they yeah. they they need one of these multi-position, modern, versatile kind of guys. The guy that they took a shot on in in Cam Reddish, but you know, maybe somebody who they feel like is a little bit more likely to pan out and that they actually would feel invested in. Yeah. I, I love his, his raw tools. Um, and I think I test wise, I think his shot is pretty, is pretty fluid. It's, it's something. Is it like a long release? Do you feel like it's kind of a, it maybe it's just his arms are so long. It looks a little <laughs> different. I mean, I, I'm not super, I don't get super concerned about like speed necessarily. I'd rather, the function and the form be there. And mm-hmm. I, I think the, the speed of a release is something that is easier to work on than if you're, you have really bad footwork or yeah. you have a wonky upper uh, follow through or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he was shooting it effortlessly with a seven, two wingspan and that defense, like this is a guy who, you know, you're talking about as a top 10 guy. Uh, but if he shows in workouts that that release is a little bit quicker and obviously, you know, that'll be a point of emphasis um, once his season is over, he's going to be an an intriguing guy um, because man, that wingspan, he, he obviously is going to have to get thicker um, and put on, on weight. And I think that'll be a process. I don't think like Sensabaugh who could just, you know, 
diet and get in the gym and lose weight leading up. I don't know how much weight he could really put on as a young guy, but um, I think that'll be something that happens over time. But yeah, he's got really intriguing skills and, and there's a lot of teams in this draft that have multiple picks. Yeah. And, and he's, he's the kind of guy, I think if you have multiple picks, like he's one of those upside plays yeah. where even if he's a little bit of a mystery, you could take, you could take a, a Jalen Williams and a Usman Jang yeah. and feel safe about Jalen and all right, well, Usman can develop at his own pace. Yeah. What's going to be interesting with him is he missed so much time with the, with the wrist injury. And I mean, I've been to Australia. That's not a trip around the corner. Like you really have no, to plan no, no, for no, that no. trip. <laughs> and so I wonder how many teams have actually had the opportunity to scout him live. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he'll he'll be in Dallas this summer working out, so I'll get a chance to watch him up close and, and probably do some some video stuff on him there. But yeah, I just wonder like how many teams are they you know kind of changing up their their schedules to go watch him live because again, that's a very long trip to watch <laughs> for one game. And I mean, I went to watch Lamelo and RJ play, so that was 2019. I was. I went from Beijing and it it was so far that I might as well have came home to Dallas and grabbed the <laughs> coat and then went back. So that Australia trip, you'd have to plan it to where you're you're there maybe to catch two, maybe three games to kind of get your your you know, get your time. And I don't know how much time is left in their season. I don't think they have a really long season. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I just wonder like how many teams are actually going to get a chance to scout him live. I can't imagine all thirty teams are going to say that we saw him live. No, unless you're you want to throw in a little vacation at the same time while you're yeah. there to make it worth your while, hit yep. hit the beaches and whatnot. Um, but yeah, he seems like a guy who's going to be a tape and and workout workout yeah. guy. Now it's interesting. You're a Dallas guy. What is it about Dallas? Because it seems like such a random place for all of these NBA players <laughs> to work out together. What is it about the Dallas scene that um, seems to be like, I guess, like growing in popularity to kind of train there? Yeah, um, you have Tyler Ralph and Tim Martin, two really good trainers who is it's funny because when I first started my basketball journey, they were starting theirs, too. So we we all kind of came up around the same time and and. Um, two totally different styles but they have so many players and then you just look at the talent in dallas like last year there are five mcdonald's all americans and the high school players work out with the pros and so um you know between those guys like the the comp sport guys so which is boone and Jai's guys they work out with with those two guys so um victor's been working out with tim tim martin for the past few years um you know, last year's quite a few guys that kind of trained in the area. It's a big enough city to where, you know, like if you're trying to pull a prospect away from his comfort zone, he can still be in a big city. It's away from like Vegas. And well, most guys are in LA, Miami. Um, but it's like I said, it's just, it's centrally located. And it's it's not as expensive as those cities, so it is it is becoming yeah. a hot bit. But then there's just so many local guys. I mean, from Tyrese Maxey to Kay Cunningham, Julius Randle, um, you know, just from from this year's draft, Keontae George, Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, Casey uh, Wallace, all those guys, you know, 
grew up playing with each other. So I think this summer is even going to be crazier um, as far as just guys working out in Dallas. Man, I can't get into a conversation about Keontae George right now. I would have too many glowing things to say. Um, and, and we've been going for over an hour and I don't want to keep you any longer. But man, it's been uh, too long since we've gotten a, a chance to do this. So I appreciate you coming on on the show and um, you are one of the hardest workers in this space. So you know everybody at at the no ceilings uh crew respects what you do and and um we love your work so again appreciate you taking the time plug you know all the things that you got going on yeah first of all i want to give you guys a shout out for what you guys have done like you guys have taken this <laughs> you guys have taken this draft space by storm and i know i used to joke around saying man you guys are an army but it's you guys are literally <laughs> like like walmart you're just gobbling up all the best talent and putting together your own collective and it's it's a different um it's definitely a different vibe that you guys have going as far as like the creativity. Yeah. Um we like to I have like fun. the home the home in a way. <laughs> so many different perspectives, which is I mean, it's it's dope that you guys have a team. And uh I wouldn't be surprised seeing like each person kind of getting plucked away from from different NBA <laughs> by different NBA teams. What's crazy is one day um I was in the car, and I guess I can tell the story now. So I was in the car with uh, Ryan Rollins' agent, and mm. uh, and it was one of your episodes, and we just um, we're just listening to it. <laughs> so I think I think we we're on our way to watch Ryan work out. Um, but no, I mean you guys are doing great work. Keep it up. I get the the notifications every day in my inbox. I read them, and it's definitely made me step my game up because I'm like these guys are working and then there's times where i, I get upset with you guys like <laughs> i had this i had this kalel wear article that i was getting ready to publish and then you guys beat me to it i'm like well i can't put it out right now i gotta wait a couple weeks <laughs> because <laughs> and, and me and you agree on a lot of the a lot of things yeah. right and so yeah. sometimes i'm like oh i gotta put this on the back burner because no ceilings did did their own version of it which is similar to mine but props to you guys man i just love the work that you guys are doing and then as far as me i'm on locked on nba big board podcast five days a week and uh yeah it's <laughs> it's a lot of podcasting five days a week got to record after this and then i have uh, the nba big board newsletter um it, it's on the paywall and uh but yeah i try to get two or three articles a week and it's it's a combination of you know what chat for had he always used into i don't think chad really used a lot of his own um scouting reports but he was more of a reporter as he as um during the later stages of his career and so i i try to combine what made chad's newsletter successful but then adding my own spiel to it and my own opinions and film studies but um yeah so you you get a lot of different quotes from nba scouts and personnel and then i mix him you know how i feel about it um, but yeah, that's where you can find me at nbabigboard.com and the NBA Big Board Podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to all of the above and, and follow Raphael on all the social platforms as well because um got, you know, one of my one of my favorite perspectives. You're not you're never afraid to, you know, cave into what the consensus is and, and you know, that's important in, in this space where groupthink is just it runs rampant and, yeah. and, you know, and, um, I think a lot of times those narratives shape 
certain things. And and I think that it's important for people to go against the grain and, and not do it to go against the grain. You yeah. know, when you say something, you you mean it. You're not just, you know, it's not a, a, a first take, uh, yeah. undisputed hot take thing just for clicks. So mm-hmm. uh, make sure you go read and, and subscribe to all of Raphael's stuff. And, and again, man, I appreciate you doing this. And uh, we got to do it again soon. But um, tomorrow you will have a Deep Dives podcast episode with Nick on the No Ceilings feed. So make sure you tune into that. And until next time, we're out. Peace.